All right, welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Greg Thomas with Battle of the Beast Guide Service, and no special announcements this week. We just we were looking for somebody to talk trolling, and we know that Greg brings a lot to the table, both trolling north and south. So that's kind of what our focus is going to be on this episode. When I say our focus, I actually mean Brad's focus. I'm going to do a bunch of work on the computer while Brad talks to Greg. So this is going to be Brad's episode. He kind of holds down the fort. <laughs> well, I know you always have your two cents, Jeff, so you'll be part of it as well. Yeah, but as we discussed with Jake and Russ last week, my two cents isn't even worth two cents. It's maybe like a penny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Don't cut yourself short. Uh, well, uh, for anybody that cares, this is uh, Thursday before the episode comes out on Wednesday, so we're a little bit ahead, just for reference on time. I know Brad talks a little bit about weather coming up. And the weather coming up would be the weather that was probably here, I'm assuming, right, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we are in a big cold spell right now, and I know it's going to warm up a little bit next week when this podcast comes out. It actually looks like it could be some really decent weather this coming week. As, yeah, coming into this weekend, though, it looks pretty nasty. I mean, windy, cold, potential for some sort of precipitation, whether it be snow or rain. And I gotta head north to. I'm gonna actually fish this weekend, Brad. And I gotta, I gotta close the camper down for the year. So I gotta get up there and winterize it, anyways. I figured I might as well take a boat, see what I can do on Saturday afternoon, and then see how, um, how quickly I can get my work done on Sunday. Probably hit it up a little bit again on Sunday before I fly back home. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's about time, Jeff. I mean, the year is almost over. We gotta make make hay while the sun shines and uh if anybody's out there wondering, I'll tell you what, you need to get on the water. Yes, sir. Time is not our friend at this point. Usually in like June, uh July, you're like, Yeah, we got plenty of season left, you know. It's we got all of August, we got all of September, October's still really good, potentially November can be really good. Plenty of time. And then here we are, mid October. The clock is definitely ticking. Yeah, absolutely. It it goes faster and faster every year, Jeff. You know, people say, well, when's the best time to go fishing? The best time to go fishing is when you can go. Make time, make it on the water. Yeah, like if I could handpick a day, Sunday I don't think would be the day I would handpick to to be on the water. But we're going to we're gonna see what happens. I got a couple of, sm- you know, smaller lakes up there. It's supposed to be kind of windy, so I'm going to probably try to duck off on some smaller stuff. Than the- I've been fishing bigger water up there, and so I'll, I'll probably... Get to some small lakes and see. That way I can, you know, kind of just protect myself a little bit from wind and, and big waves. Yeah, it's definitely been windy here. And I know what the trend normally is for you, Jeff, is a day or two behind me. Yes, absolutely. If I ever want to know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow, I just talk to you. That's the way it works. Absolutely, it does. Well, as per usual, if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, please make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're your source for everything. You know, we say we're used we used to be the custom color thing, but now we've have stock colors in pretty much everything we carry, and we we never stop adding inventory. It seems like I know that we have lots coming a lot we just got lots so if you're looking for i don't know let's see here what do we got recently some angry dragons some joe booker outdoors i think i talked about bucktails from everybody last week we got some spinner baits from rough tackle so if you're looking for spinner baits yet we still have some of that stuff and so we're pretty well loaded and there's still more to come and we've been getting lots and lots from musky innovations as well so if you need gear check out team rhino outdoors.com 
And Brad, I'll let you talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Muskie Mayhem Tackle, the originators of the big bladed flash boo baits. Um, you can check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com. Whether you want one of our standard baits or you can design and build your own custom bait, check out the website and we'd be more than happy to help you. And with that taken care of and out of the way, let's just go dial up the conversation that Brad had. I dropped in for a little bit of it with Greg Thomas, Battle of the Beast Guide Service. All right, our guest this week is Greg Thomas, Battle of the Beast Guide Service. Greg is also co-host of Muskie Road Rules Podcast, so if you want more podcasting, check out Muskie Road Rules Podcast. So, Greg, thanks for coming on. It's been, uh, it hasn't even been that long since we've had you on. It's only been like three months, so we hadn't had you on in like, I don't know, 160 episodes, and now here we've had you in like three in the last 30, so you might as well just be co-host of this one too, right? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's in demand. It's all good. And actually, Brad was on our podcast about 10 minutes ago, and uh, I'm about tired of talking to him. So, so it's going well. So it's pretty much the same as me every single week then, right? You're pretty much tired of talking to Brad. Exactly. He just goes on and on about how good he is, his favorite hair care product, and the new wine he's drinking. It's just, it's it gets revolting after a while. <laughs> Thanks for it. good books he's reading. Yes, many leather-bound books at this house. There is several leather-bound books at that place. He he's, uh, <laughs> he always tells me about his journal entries and stuff that he's Captain's you know, his, log. His <laughs> Captain's log, yeah, Captain's log and, and stuff. It's super. Uh, uh, it's super annoying after a while. Yes, I know you own a pen. Good for you. <laughs> Uh, it's always good to have you back on, Greg. <laughs> well, you say that now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll feel differently about this in 45 minutes. <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've had that I've had that effect on people. What, uh, Jeff, you get any snow over there today, or are you guys had any bad weather? Uh, no snow yet. It's supposed to this weekend, so it's going to be... It went right from, you know, summer to winter. It's no fall again. It's just one of those years. Yeah, we had our first snow today. Some snow squalls came through, and yeah, it was cold. It was 78 on Tuesday, and today we had uh, um, basically snow squalls that we couldn't see across the lake. Went, uh, yeah, but no, it's uh, yeah, it's been getting cold up here. Water temps right now are 54-ish. It seemed like it was like 57, 58 on Tuesday when it was warm and they're starting to crash down. And I think we're going to see even more crashes. Don't you, Brad, here coming up the next four or five days? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the next couple of days, if you look at the 10 day, it's looking pretty crazy with the uh, cool temps. I think we see 20 degrees here in a couple of days overnight today. I mean, maybe 38 degrees for a high. And we had the yeah. same snow squalls down here. We're about an hour south of where you're at right now. But, yeah, I mean, uh, fall is upon us. Uh, I will say that next week it looks a little bit promising. We're going to have some 50s and a little less cold at night. So hopefully it stabilizes and uh, we get some more fishing here for the next month and a half. I think it will. I mean, it does this every year, right? You have two stages of fall. You have, you know, the first big cool down you know what i always call the change days you know you get those days that you know where it just 
you know, you get it super cold and, and stuff, and then it kind of mellows out. And that usually happens, you know, early October. And then you get the change days in the usually late October, November, where it gets like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to blow and I'm going to get cold and I am not going to warm up. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's, we're kind of going through the first change and then, you know, it'll happen again a little bit later and it's going to mellow out. Water temps are probably going to get down to, uh, depending on where you're at, probably going to get in that 40, upper 40 to mid 40 degree range, uh, maybe a little bit warmer, but uh, I don't mind that. I mean, it's usually pretty decent fishing when it gets that way and guys are going to start getting hunting on their minds. So you're going to have a little less pressure on the water. Yeah, no, I, n- I never do mind it when it gets like that. What are you suspecting for a turnover up by you right now, Greg? I think they've already turned. I really do. Um, I think DL is in turn right now because the water is not clear. I think Pelican might have turned already because last week there was just a ton of crap floating out there. Just the bottom sludge, you know, looks like, you know, a big old gob of earwax floating on the surface. It, uh, I think that, I think it's already turned. I really do. Yeah. I haven't been on the water for a few days, so I can't answer for, you know, Miltona or whatever, but I know it's getting close. And with the big winds that we've had for the last three days, it, it wouldn't surprise me either, especially with these cold, cold nights. Yeah. I think, you know, I, and I think wind has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I think wind has a lot to do with turnover, especially if it's generating any kind of little bit of current. I think you're going to have that. And like I said, I, you know, DL yesterday, I was on it, uh, you know, looking down, trying to see the live bait, and you just couldn't. I mean, it was until the, you know, something happened where it moved or rolled a little bit, it was hard to see. And, you know, it, it just hasn't been that way out there for a number of years. And, you know, so I, I think we're at turn right now. And, but I think Pelican, I really do. I mean, there was just so much bottom crap floating on the surface that I think it might have. And, it, and it's really clear right now. So I think it's, it's already went through it. Well, that kind of leads us into our discussion. And I know Jeff really wanted to talk about fall trolling. I know you've, you're pretty much doing the live bait thing anymore. Let's dive into the fall trolling. It's that time of the year. I mean, we're, we're going to come after turnover and uh, things start to change. They do. And, you know, I still do a little trolling, mainly after dark, though. I, I've always done better after dark, you know, even on the lakes over here and stuff. The, you know, the, the night trolling in the fall is always a good thing, especially during like the full moons or the dark moons. They've been good. Um, big baits, flashy, you know, have been well, you know, going at slow speeds, you know, looking for, you know, the, you know, as far as like structure and stuff for fall trolling, you know, right now we're before it gets super cold. I think you can still find fish on extended points, extended breaks, you know, not super close contour lines on your graph, but eventually they're going to move to the real steep breaks. Yeah, I would agree with that, Greg. Um, one of the things that uh, it's always been interesting to me, you know, you get into that mid-October right after turnover, it seems like a lot of these fish move to the sand. They are laying in 15 feet of water, but what's their movement throughout the day, do you think? 
Well, I mean, I think it has to do with some, maybe with, with warmth. You know, I mean, they're, you know, the sand deal um, makes total sense because it is a little bit of warmth. I think the bait fish are looking, you know, they're going to stage to spawn. You know, up here, we're dealing with, you know, fall spawning bait fish. We're in Kentucky where I was, you know, grew up musky fish and it was a spring spawning bait fish uh, with shad. So you would, you know, again, they always migrated to the, uh, the shallow sandy gravel banks to uh, do that. And I think you see that with the, with the Cisco's as well, but more uh, in the harder breaks. But like I said earlier, like this, I think those fish don't necessarily go to those hard breaks. I think they, you know, in preparing for that, I think they're still on those, those flats, not necessarily the real hard break stuff. And they don't, move up real shallow or nothing they're just kind of you know kind of hanging out in that mid-depth level yeah for sure i i think where i was kind of going is more so towards uh the second maybe the second week in november traditionally anyway i think uh as a you know we're talking about two different kinds of bait as well right if you're talking about perch and suckers and maybe lake shiners and things like that they are looking for that warmth where i don't think the cisco's necessarily do that but as we transition later into this fall, I think those Cisco's will start staging on some of those steeper breaks like you're talking about. And that's definitely a key. And it's ultimately pretty easy to actually track them down. If you're using your side view or any of the new forward facing, uh, you're going to be able to see that bait and you're going to know right away. Sure. Now, do you think those Cisco's spawn at? I've always thought it was low. Um, I thought, you know, everybody says, well, it's the first full moon in November. And, and, and you know, I, I think that has something to do with it. But, you know, I, I still think you need that water temperature in that, those lower, uh, that lower 40 degree range. I would agree with that. It's at 42 to 45 degrees, you know. And honestly, you know, we can look at the moon and, and think that that triggers a lot of things. And, and there's no doubt it does. I mean, it, it triggers bites. It triggers... Um, different movements of the fish but ultimately uh, i think when it's time it's time and uh, some of us like to think it's water temp some of us like to think it's the moon i don't know if we really truly truly know you know is it daylight hours is that what it is i'm not sure yeah i mean i again i i, I agree with you there but it does seem like that first full moon in november can be really good i mean look back at the you know all the catches you know some of the biggest malax catches and the catches that we've seen in minnesota and, and i think anywhere you know that first full moon in november is always kind of like that all right we need to be out here regardless of how horrible it is you know it, it, it's kind of that time of year right yeah and i think those temps kind of fall in place with that moon as well I mean, if you look at what sure. we did last sure. year for our last episode, we did those five pilot episodes with Musky Man or Mayhem's ten thousand cast. That was full moon in November, right? And sure. it was phenomenal. I mean, we we really had a great shoot. You could follow that back all the way to the Malax years when we used to fish out there late in the fall. I think the first time I'm trying to remember, Greg, what year it was, you know, you used to always go home around Labor Day weekend, head back to Kentucky. Was it 03 or 04 you flew back up here and hung out for a couple of weeks? It was 03. 
Yeah, it was a little bit later, but man, we just banged them up. That's for sure. Yeah, and that was kind of when those again, you know, and, and that's one of those Malax fish were were very dumb, which is my favorite type of fish to catch. And they were, you know, they weren't used to being targeted late like that, and and those fish were were definitely biting, and that kind of introduced a late fall bite, and basically made the reason why I decided to stay in Minnesota to you know, freeze up or later, but you know, every year is different. I've left here at, um, up in Detroit lakes. I've pulled out to here on like November 6th before, and it'd be two degrees in the lake. Be, you know, you know, there's ice 400 yards out around the lake. It's always different every year. And you hope it lasts, you know, last year, you know, we thought it was going to get cold. We left 12th or something like that. And, I thought it was pretty much done, but then you said it warmed right back up. It did. You know, amazingly enough, we were in sweatshirts for the most of the month of November. We even got to, to fish the final day of December 1st. So, and we caught on that day. It's, it's always incredible. But, you know, talking about trolling, and here we are, we're mid-November, or mid-October, excuse me. In mid-October, I remember a shoot that you did, Greg. And man, I don't even know. This might have been 05, 06, maybe even 07. You did a shoot with keys and you were trolling deep diver uh, slammers and basically you slammed the fish, that's for sure. And if you can remember that shoot, I tried to duplicate what you were doing, but you had a little secret sauce in the mix. Yeah, I mean, we were just running, uh, you know, we were running, we were running the deep diving crankbaits on real short line at night because I remember Mike you know, was coming up and, and I told him, I said, you know, I go, it's going to be, you know, he goes, what time do you want to meet you at the ramp? I go, well, you know, to be honest, it's all been dark. I'd rather meet you at, you know, whatever time it was getting dark then, you know, he was a little shocked that I was actually fishing at night and, you know, and our bites were coming late, like, like midnight and, uh, which is really fun when it's 20 degrees out. You know, we were running a lot of uh, the big slammer baits and basically overtop the reefs, and we were just trying to get the planer boards as tall, you know, as, as far up on the reef as possible, and run the slammers with only like ten feet of line out, and just kind of run them up through there. And basically, the Cisco's were moving up there to spawn, and and you know, only going you know two point five miles an hour. And to me, that was the best pattern that we had going and we caught a lot of big fish doing that when the malax bite was going on if i remember right there was one bait that was in the mix that wasn't necessarily getting eaten but it definitely attracted the fish to come look at those slammers and yep. that was a 13 inch believer correct oh yeah yeah we ran the 13 inch believers a lot didn't get a lot of bites on them the other bait i ran a lot on Malax that nobody really had up here at the time was the big Wiley running them for the jointed 10 inch and, or the eight inch Dale called them eight inch jointed. Yeah. The problem is, is Dale doesn't have a ruler because they're more like 10 inches because he measures them before the joint. Then he puts hooks on them. It's a whole thing. It's a, uh, you know, the bait's a lot bigger and it's a bigger profile, but we run them slow. They, they, they wiggle really nice. And he even makes a 13-inch one or a 12-inch one called a Kowalski. And that actually 
one of my biggest fish I've caught trolling after dark was on West Battle with a, a really big 53-incher that came on that. Yeah, I think some of the equation here, though, is maybe those rattles in that in that believer were calling some of those fish. I mean, it's pretty amazing to think, you know, my spread, I knew you were catching on slammers. I was running slammers, and I couldn't get bit. The short lines, and then I think part of that whole deal, like I said, the secret sauce was maybe having that 13-inch believer in that mix. Sure, sure. Just maybe bringing the fish up and making them look or something, and then all of a sudden they see the slammer go by them, and they were eating that. I think, too, though, for night, something that's big is water displacement. Um, and those big slammers like that, they they had a deep diving bill on them, and they, those baits couldn't run fast. I mean, you run it at three and a half miles an hour, it was blowing out. But at slow speed, you know, those baits, would really move and they'd make the planer board jump and you could def you could definitely tell that there was something on there. And I think that was you know, that was a lot of it. So kind of diving in a little bit deeper with kind of the mix that you're running. You know, you were talking about ten feet of line. Do you count your leader when you count that ten feet? I don't. And I know that's something that some people do. I typically run a three foot leader. Um, every once in a while I'll run a five foot, but I don't. Most of the time when I say line, it's just, it's literally line. So there is an extra three to five feet based on the leader that I'm using. I run my, my lines the same way. I don't count the leader. It might be a three, it might be a four foot leader. I'll run wire leaders. I'll run fluorocarbon leaders. And I mix it up a little bit. Sometimes I run three footers. Sometimes I run four, but uh, ultimately I never count the leader as part of my line distance. All right. Well, let me ask you this. So you're saying you run wire and you run mono. Have you noticed the difference between the mono and the wire? I mean, have you noticed days that the, the wire gets hit more often? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the one thing about leaders. I, it's no different than running a, a wire line, right? I, I know you do yep. that a bunch, Craig, and, and I started playing with it this year. I talked about doing it for years, never did. I started doing it this year. There's days when that actually makes a difference. That wire's going to sing in the water, and I think those wire leaders do the exact same thing. They sing, they give a little yeah. bit different to that bait. Yeah, I've noticed the same thing. Um, I'm a huge believer in wire line. I always have a wire line in my set. You know, in Kentucky, that you know, again, the wonderful thing about Kentucky is our lack of law, and you can use as rods as you want. Being in Kentucky, there's times when the the wire is the only thing that gets bit, and it makes a noise, it makes a hum, it digs in the water, and even the wire leaders, I've noticed, there's times when the wire leader um, tends to go more than the uh, fluorocarbon stuff. Are you mixing in any mono line, you know, as far as your, uh, your real line? Not really. Not really. I mean, mono aggravates the crap out of me. I do think mono sticks to boards better, but if I don't have to use it, I don't. Well, I still got a couple mono rods in the mix, you know, unfortunately here, like in Minnesota and depends on where you are in Wisconsin, you can only run one line per angler. So you know, if you only got three guys in the boat, say two and myself, it kind of limits you, right? So 
you got to kind of mix things up a little bit, but, uh, and every day is a little different. That's, that's the crazy part. So, you know, everybody thinks that trolling is just an easy way to fish, so on and so forth. You could say that about live bait fishing as well, but there is a science to it, hands down. And, and oh, I think, there's uh, a science and there's a, uh, you know, it comes down to with trolling, it comes down to wiggle sometimes, you know, the, the wiggle that they want. Uh, it, it just, you know, there, there's a lot of little things out there. It's no different than casting, but you know, especially if you're doing shallow water trolling, deep water trolling and, and, and stuff like that, but it's just annoying. It's not just dragging a bait. It can be some days and that's great, but you know, it, it does, you know, it does a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff to it. Absolutely. Structured trolling versus open water trolling in the fall. What's your, uh, your ideas on that and the benefits of each? You know, structure trolling is probably the most effective that I've, that I've done for me. I love open water trolling. I can open water troll all day because I just always think that it's going to produce the biggest fish in the lake. Structure trolling, though, is probably more productive. But if you're, to me, if you're truly going after the jumbo giant, you know, if you're willing to go out there, spend the days, looking for bait, working the bait balls, I think that's going to, you know, at the end of the day, is going to produce the biggest fish. Yeah, I think that's uh, very true. And I find myself kind of stuck in that realm. And, and a lot of times to a fault, you know, what, if you were going to show up in a new body of water, whether you're in Wisconsin, Minnesota, it doesn't matter, Illinois, wherever you might show up today, how much time are you going to spend in the open water versus the structure? And when do you make that change? It all depends on the bait. If I'm seeing bait, you know, kind of related to the structure, close to the structure, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely spend more time um, near the structure, but I'm always going to go and make swings out over open water. Cause again, I, I love open water fishing. Um, if it's, you know, if it's something that's doable, but you know, first I'll go look and, you know, so like if I'm going to be in the fall and I'm going to go out there, I'm going to look, um, we all, you know, most all of us have on our graphs, a map chip, right? I'm going to basically look at it on that lake. If it's 12 feet, okay. There's a weed edge at 12 feet. Water's getting cold. I'm going to look for that first break off the 12 foot edge, you know, any flat that extends out. And it extends out into the lake and, and makes a bigger piece of structure where the where the contour lines are the tightest. All right, that's what I want to look for, where that break is. And I'm going to start trolling that. And then if I can find some deep holes, whether it's a natural lake with deep holes or flowage with a river channel that has a drop-off, any place where those, those flats extend out, and maybe butt up next to those deeper water areas, those areas I think I'm going to spend time. It should be where a lot of the bait is, and there should be fish in the bays. Yeah, I, I almost think that there there's a secondary piece of this puzzle, right? There's structure trolling, there's open water trolling, but there's an in-between, too. I mean, we could consider it open water, but it's amazing how many of these fish, whether it be bait fish or the muskie, they are relating to some of these really deep 
structures that come out that would be normally considered open water. And I, I think they're still kind of a structured fish, honestly. Yeah, but those areas like that, the ultra deep flats that go out into the lake, um, the areas that you can't visually see, and they're in, and let's be honest, these are areas that a lot of people didn't even know were there, including myself on some of these lakes, until we had the mapping software. Yeah, that's hands down, you're correct there, Greg. I mean, I, I think back, you know, prior to map cards, we were we were able to map out by just laying down waypoints on a particular point on a, on a structure, right? But sure. ultimately, after that, I mean, it got really tricky, especially with some of these breaks where they might have kind of lingered out into that open water. You might have a gut feeling, but you're right. Until we got map cards, we really didn't know exactly how that really looked. So, I mean, it, it, the, the cool thing with the map chips is it allowed us to see these, you know, roads to Neverland, right? Roads to the open water. And the, the thing that I find really interesting is that these long extensions, these pieces of structure that, that go and, and aren't visible, all right, that, that have never been visible before, they do hold fish. And I think they hold fish all year. Um, I've had clients and me kind of do that, and, and we've caught fish in the summer doing it. But, I mean, for that, too, you got to have somebody that really believes in you because, you know, sometimes you're out in, like, the middle of freaking nowhere doing this, and you may be fishing just the smallest of breaks or um, or the deepest of sand grass, but those fish are out there. So that area that you're talking about, um, I definitely think that is a transition for these fish when they're, where you know, maybe where they're hanging out before they you know, twofold before they come in and feed on the Cisco's. And then after the Cisco's leave, they hang out there. I, cause I think these fish definitely relate to spawning areas deeper, uh, over the winter. Um, and, and, you know, right. You know, as soon as the Cisco's leave, I think, especially if it's near a spawning area, I think those fish hang out there. Yeah, that would make sense for sure. Greg. So how do we attack these fish? I mean, I know you use boards. What's your opinion? I can tell you this, this past June, it seemed like my down rods were more important than my board rods. And I would have not said that over the last five, seven years. Definitely this past spring, my down rods were key. How do you run that mix? Are you running mostly boards? Are you trying to do some down rods? What's your mix? I think you're running both. I think, you know, especially um, when you're trying to cover water in, in these areas and you've got these bigger areas like this, because it's not like you're making short trolling passes, right? You're not, you know, these extensions that you're fishing off the structure here, they're not small. Okay. If they are small, you can still cover them this way. So I think you always have to have a high line. A high line to me is, is something you always have to have. And this time of year, I guarantee it's probably not going to get a hit that often, but when it does, it's going to be a really big fish. I do the same thing with suckers. I always run a high sucker because does not get hit often but when it does boy she can be a she can be a dandy so i would be running them both i would definitely mix a wire rod into the mix and uh yeah you got to cover depth level you just got to cover zones you got to cover deep mid and high i think as long as you got that covered um it's up to the fish after that yeah i think one of the amazing things for people when they're in your boat and they're they're sitting there and they're going 
wow, you're, you're running a bait only five feet down, or maybe it's 10 foot down and you're in 20 to 30 feet of water. But when you look at our boat, our boat's only maybe 20, 21 foot long. When you show them that distance, they can relate to the length of the boat to understand that that fish has only got to move that, that length. I mean, it really isn't that far. No, 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 no. It's not that far at all. I mean, it, you know, if, if it's an active fish, if it's going to feed, it'll come up there. And hell, it don't even have to be active. They can just come up there and look at it, go back down. It's not like it's that big a deal for the fish. I mean, we think when we look at our graph, oh, my God, we are in 25 feet of water. Put on your life jacket. Yeah, basically hit the bottom and push up with your feet, and you're at the surface. Right? So Exactly. These fish, a couple uh, tail kicks, and they're moving fast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They've got uh, plenty of speed to do it. And just because the water's cold, don't think that those fish can't still move fast. If they're uh, if they're hungry, they're going to definitely be able to. Uh, if they're triggered, they're going to become up and uh, able to eat. So, Jeff, we've kind of ignored you this whole time. Um, I'm guessing you probably got. Thank a few God. Questions. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's probably a good thing, right? <laughs> I don't know about we'll, that. We'll let you two fight it out over uh, trolling tactics. Well, I do have a couple things, uh, Greg. I didn't necessarily anticipate going down the path of night trolling, which you know that's that's great. Not a lot of people are doing it, so if if you do it. You could definitely uncover some stuff that not a lot of people are are on. I guess what are some must haves to try to keep yourself like somewhat comfortable during this time frame? Because like you know, obviously we we're all aware it can get damn cold at this time. Whiskey, no, and night trolling. The biggest thing is is uh, you know a good headlamp. If you've got those buddy heaters, those do work pretty good. The main thing, the main thing is this: if you're going to night troll this time of year, really watch the wind. Um, it ain't like during the day. Um, at night, it's cold. If it's windy, it's it's just not safe to be out there. I would definitely, uh, you know, watch the wind and 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 that. Um, the other thing is, you know, make sure you got a good headlamp, a couple pairs of good gloves, and uh, yeah, just dress as warm as you can because it 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 can definitely be good and. You know, you don't have to stay out all night, but you know, give it a give it a couple three hours after dark. I think you'll um, you'll find that you know a lot of those fish. There was a lot of times that we did not not get a bite till after dark, and uh, it's it definitely slow down two and a half miles an hour, two point eight, go pretty slow, and and uh, I think you're going to find that uh, those fish will still eat pretty good after dark. I would agree with that, Greg. And and one of the other things I know I mentioned that I believe last fall was you head to Walmart or Fleet Farm and you buy yourself one of those seat warmers that basically go in your car or your truck. Um, they plug right into a cigarette lighter. I think they're like twenty twenty five dollars. And man, are they nice! You can uh, you can sit there comfortably for a long period of time, keeping your core warm just on those little seat covers. I like too. I bought a I bought a a vest, a battery operated vest last year, and those were uh, that that thing was pretty uh, pretty much money too. You can just take it on, put it on medium, and and be all good to go. Yeah, it's amazing what's out there right now for uh, clothing to be able to stay warm, whether it be you know Bluetooth controlled heated socks or those vests like you're talking about definitely something that's going to keep you on the water a little longer okay so greg the other 
the other question I had now is I want to back up on stuff you were talking about earlier. You were talking about, you know, fishing these reefs and stuff, and obviously it doesn't need to be Mille Lacs. It can be a lot of lakes that have this structure. Are you making contact with the structure or are you, what's the setup there? Yeah, I like to make contact whenever I can. I'm a big believer in hitting the bottom and, and bouncing the bottom with stuff. I think that's a huge deal getting these fish that are uh, those reaction strikes and everything. Uh, in the fall, I think if you have rock, a bait that hits the rock um, is definitely going to be the one that probably takes the fish. And then the other question I would have would be, how about jointed versus straight in, in either, you know, night fishing or, I mean, any time during, during the fall? I like them both. You know, I mean, I've, I've done good on both of them. I think you put one of each out and see where it goes. Of course, the jointed's going to have a little more action to it. The, the, the straight's going to move a little bit more water, but they're both really, really good. Yeah, I've heard, you know, a lot of people use jointed because it'll give you a little bit more action at a slower speed. So it kind of you know, gives you that appearance of speed, but it's not necessarily moving that fast like in the fall. Yeah, but I think the, the straights move more water. You know, it's kind of a slower move of water. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of what I liked. Yeah, I'd say for my personal preference, I don't, I don't run a lot of jointed crankbaits. Brad, what's your story on jointed crankbaits? You run a lot of them? I don't. I do know that Supernatural made a couple prototypes earlier this year that I had the opportunity to play with. And I, I do know that there were some guys on Leech that were just pounding the fish throughout the month of June on them. I personally struggled with them a little bit, but I struggled all the way around in June, so I'm not going to say a whole lot. I will definitely be pulling them out of the box here shortly and, and running them some more. I do think a lot of times, though, like, you know, going back to the 13-inch uh, believer idea, I think some of those jointed baits and with the rattles inside of them can definitely attract fish. It doesn't necessarily mean that that fish is going to eat that bait, but when you have rattles in a bait in the mix, I think it, it pulls fish in and they might eat the quieter bait. Sure. I mean, that's definitely, uh, definitely a way to look at it. So, Greg, if somebody's looking to get into trolling, they haven't done much of it, What's your thought process on rods? Do they need to go out and spend $300 on a high-tech trolling rod, or what can, you, what can they get away with? Well, for me, if you're going to do much trolling in the fall, you know, this fall trolling, just go out there and get you some ugly sticks. You know, something pretty heavy-duty. You know, you don't have to go spend or break the bank. The only, I don't know if I'd break the bank on the rod, but I would invest in some quality rod holders. That to me is the biggest thing. Get a get you some down east. I use a lot of the fat AZ stuff, the system there to, to for rod holders that are movable. There you can take them off the track, but stay away from plastic. Get you down east something or or some kind of metal rod holders that's not gonna you know worry about breaking in the fall. So I would definitely you know rod wise you can get away with ugly sticks. Um, Shimano makes the TRDs rods, uh, you know, you, you can get away there, but to me, the most important thing is get you a good, you know, some good rod holders down East is what I use. I really, really like them. They're strong. They're metal. They're not going to break. You know, as far as reel goes, you know, there's a lot of good reels out there. Um, I've been using these, uh, the Daiwa Saltist, uh, line counters. I think they're pretty good. I like the size of the handle. They're not super high gear ratio, which I like that. I don't like a real high gear ratio reel for trolling. 
and something with a good clicker so you can hear it because you're going to be wearing more clothes and stuff, so you want something that's loud. So, Greg, let's just say New Angler is going to troll, I don't know, we'll use a Minnesota, Wisconsin lake because that's where the majority of our listeners are from. What are some must-haves that they must have? <laughs> what are some must-haves? What are, what are for... the must-haves that you must have? There you go. That's uh, exactly it. There you go. You know, I mean, right now, if you're going to be trolling, especially in the fall, I don't think you can – I think you always need to have um, a big flat-sided bait, whether it be, you know, the the jakes, um, 10-inch jakes, the grandmas, and the, you know, or the supernatural baits. I think those are definitely all three in the mix there. Depending on your budget, I would probably get one of the supernaturals and, you know, maybe one that you like to try it to see – where it's going to go and with that you can either run it on the on the three different islet settings to see if you want to go deep uh deep shallow or in between um and then i would get some you know the rounder body baits whether it be a depth raider uh the deeper diver slammers the the legend bait something like that that's going to dig a little bit deeper for you if you get those two i think you're going to have or if you get you know, a mix of those two sizes of bait, those two styles of bait. Um, if you can get your hands on them, some of the big Wileys are always good too. But uh, those styles of bait, I think you'll be uh, pretty good. You'll be able to cover shallow to deep with those. Yeah, I would agree on those bait choices, Greg. And the one thing that I have always noticed, and I don't know, maybe it's in my head, but for over 20 years, I always look for something with a foil or a mirage type tape on the side. I definitely think those baits call in more fish. I just think you're going to get more flash out of that, you know, the colors of the bait based off of some of that prism. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the water in the fall is going to be the clearest of the year. So, you know, you can definitely get that uh, little extra flash. It's probably going to go a lot further. You know, Greg, you mentioned a couple things about, you know, supernatural baits. Do you prefer headlocks or matlocks more in the fall? I like the matlocks. I think those are um, have been a little bit better for me. It seems like they might track a little straighter. Um, and I think in the fall, when the colder water, I don't think you need the. I don't think you need the wandering quite as much. But again, that's just my opinion. And then the other thing you mentioned too was the three pin settings. Do you know about where you're typically sitting at with the pins? Typically, I'm uh, I'm in the middle to the top pin typically the middle pin and then i just adjust my line length on on how far i want to get it down from there but i get a nice action it doesn't tend to wander quite as much and it kind of stays in a, in a nice true setting for me so when you say middle to top pin you mean closer to the bait or closer to the line closer to the to the bait that middle pin there's three of them yep. so it'd be the middle pin okay and then if, if you're not there, then you're the one that's a little farther back for that, gets you a little deeper, quicker? Um, if I'm not there, it's actually the shallower one. Okay. The one to the front of the lip. And uh, so the bait rides a little bit higher, and I'll run it on a board line and let it swim around up there, up, up in the top. Yep. All right. That's about typical. That's why I'm with most of my stuff. I actually run front pin a lot. and then, But even on the front pin, it's still, I mean, those things still dive pretty quick. Sure. Yeah, they'll still get down there. I just think in the fall, I don't think wandering is quite as big a deal as it is um, in the summer when you're going faster. That makes sense. Right, what's your thoughts? I usually run my Supernaturals in the middle pin setting. I pretty much leave it there all the time. 
And like Greg said, I'm going to adjust my line lengths to according to where I want it for depth anyway. So, and a lot of times, I mean, especially in the spring, I'm keeping my baits really, really high. I just believe that, you know, you know, no, not unlike the fall, late fall, once the water clears up after turnover, we've got ultra clear water. And if I'm in ultra clear water, it's going to be that way in June as well. And I'm going to keep my baits tendency to keep them higher in the water column. So I make my adjustments with my, my line counters, basically. All right, Greg. Well, I think we'll let you get out of your truck now. You've been out there for a little while, and it's not <laughs> warm there in uh, northern Minnesota. We appreciate you taking uh, no. time out of your schedule. I'm in a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll let, you, we'll let you fly on that. If somebody's looking to get in touch with you, Greg, what's the best way they can go about doing that? You can uh, find me at 606 776 6 uh, six seven two nine. I almost gave Tony's number. Six zero six seven seven six six seven two nine. You can also find me online at uh, battlethebeast.com or muskiehunter.com. We can uh, we can definitely do that. All right. Well, once again, Greg, we want to thank you for your time. I hope you have yourself a great fall up there in Minnesota. And then I don't know if you get to do any more fishing down in in Kentucky when you head back south, but hopefully you you have a great fall. And we want to thank all of our listeners for putting up with us again for another episode. And we'll catch everybody again next Wednesday. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, Greg.